0: So Paul, Silas, and Timothy went to Thessalonica, I'm going to have fun with this word the whole time, so you'll have to forgive me now, on their second missionary journey. Thessalonica, I was saying it real good when I was reviewing. Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia and its largest city. It was located in the main Roman highway to the east, and Paul realized the word could have a global impact if he was able to reach these very influential people in this very influential place. The city was about 200,000 people and was basically Greek, but had a strong Jewish community in it as well. So Paul was excited to plant a church there. In Acts 17, it tells us that he went into one of their synagogues in Thessalonica, like, (laughs) thank you, as was his custom. He stated, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is indeed the Christ. He was accused of stirring up a crowd and was evicted from the city. Acts says he was, the only, he was only there about three Sabbaths, which is only three weeks, and a brand-new church started. Three weeks. Wow. It seems like wherever Paul goes, there is either a revival or a riot. That's really, really hard. That had to be the Holy Spirit. Paul couldn't have done that on his own. It's so very hard to plan a church. So you know what that means. They were all brand-new believers. The assistant pastor, the worship leader, the ushers, the everybody, Sunday school teachers, all brand-new believers. They barely knew the Bible, and I love it because that's the powerful God that we know. He, that's how big he is to be able to do that in three weeks. Three weeks he was teaching, and then he leaves, and he sends Timothy back later to check on them, and Timothy brags about them, which is just mind-blowing three weeks, and he's bragging about them. The purpose of this letter is this, to express his thanksgiving and general satisfaction over their growth and witness as new believers, to answer the charges that have been brought up against him by some of his Jewish opponents, to encourage the believers to continue their hard work and perseverance until Jesus returns, and to correct certain misunderstandings regarding the end times. So these are the reasons I saw that that Paul wrote this letter, those four things. It's an interesting note that every chapter, at the end of every chapter in in 1 Thessalonians, there's a reference at the end of Christ's return. So here he is writing to a bunch of new believers, and he's bringing up Christ's return, which as a baby Christian, I didn't really want to hear. I was young, and I didn't want to hear about Christ's return. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't want to hear about that. Revelation's like way over my head. And I, I wanted to get married. I wanted to finish nursing school. I wanted to have a child. Like, like it, for him, him to be teaching this, that, it was important to him. So that, I think that's interesting that it was very important to him to be teaching this to these baby Christians. Chapter 1, verse 10 says, he ends with, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2, verse 19 says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? It is not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ coming, for you are our glory and joy. Chapter 3, verse 13 says, So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints." Chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another with these words chapter 5 verse 23 now may the god of peace sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ so at the end of every chapter he's reminding them he's coming and i'm here to remind you that he's coming he is really coming again he wanted them to have hope so that they, they, they could endure the suffering. Now back then, in Paul's time, it was a different kind of suffering than we adore. We might get made fun of, or we might have some awkward family situations, but we don't really get stoned because we love Jesus. Back then, they were getting stoned if they associated with Paul. He wanted them to become more like Jesus every day and walk closer to God and spread the gospel. I thought about this. What does the hope of heaven mean to me? If I keep end times in the forefront of my mind, like Paul was trying to make them do, what does does the hope of heaven do in in my walk, in my daily thinking? It motivates me to surrender daily, and it helps purify my earthly existence. I think it makes you have less attachment to the things here as well. So it motivates you to have surrender daily when you're remembering the hope of heaven if I really believe that Jesus is coming back one day and I'm going to stand before him and see him face to face, if I think about it every single day, that's going to purify my earthly existence and how I treat the people around me. So in chapter 1, you'll see that as you begin your homework, which won't be due to October 3rd, (laughs) no homework tonight, um, that they were a vibrant church. He begins the chapter with threefold combination of faith, hope, and love. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. I remember um, when we went to York, I wasn't really in the, you know, uh, alongside Tony starting the Bible study, because he was driving to York, and I had um, Abby, who was little, and I was pregnant with Megan. But I do remember watching him pour his heart and soul into it and starting a home Bible study and then watching it as the Lord grew out the home Bible study. And then we met in the York Little Theater. And then we got our first building. And I remember our first building, you know, we were praying about it. And it it reminded me of me and the girls used to watch um, Little House on the Prairie, that little church building that they had. And it just, every time I went by it, um, it it reminded me that. So um, it's, it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of, um, it takes a lot to start a church. And seeing God raise people up to serve and things shifting around, God moving things around, putting the right person here, the right person there, it took time. And what's really cool is I remember um, there was a season of me in York. um, I always did first service nursery, and um, I could tell when the Lord was shifting things and um, my my husband had a heart to come back here, and we weren't really sure if we were going to actually move or we were just kind of like, temporary putting, a, you know, helping and so he was going to bring someone else. We weren't really sure. And um, during that transition, I just started praying, Lord, who, who will, if we do leave, who will take that spot? You know, like who's going to be faithful to come and hold these babies? And it's so cool because we've been here 10 years and the person that I trained to take over is still in the nursery. So it's cool, like to see that those same people are being faithful and still teaching the Sunday school kids, you know. And a couple was just here this Sunday that was there for a long time with us, and they're still faithfully serving at the church. So it's just wonderful to see how God moves like that. It's that is the steadfastness of hope. James two twenty says, "But do you know? But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead." Paul knew that in order for their church to grow and thrive, it would take work. It would take volunteers, lots of volunteers, to keep it alive. So he says their labor of love, ushering souls into the kingdom of God and discipling them, is a labor of love. You know, the Sunday school teachers who faithfully pour out their heart, you know, the ushers, it's a team. You know, it's a whole it's a whole, whole, body. He commends them on their steadfastness of hope. This is called patience endurance for Christ's return. And Hebrews 619 says, this hope we have as, has, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Paul's ministry among the Thessalonians was so fruitful that not only people were saved, but a vibrant reproducing church was planted and grew even after he left, and that's what I see. It's going on in New York. It's a blessing to to see what's going on there. So he commends them for their work of faith, their labor, labor of love, and we see that it takes a whole village to run a church. The ushers, the worship team, Sunday school teachers, the sound booth people, um, the cleaning team, um, my in-laws who faithfully clean every Wednesday night after church. Um, it, it's it's a whole team, a whole a whole village. It takes a lot of people to minister to a body of believers as well. I can't, I might not, you know, sometimes Tony and I go home on Sunday and I'm like, I didn't see so-and-so. He's like, oh, no, I saw him. I'm like, okay, good. You know, like you think about people that you didn't get to see or get to give a hug or how was your week? Or And, you know, like we'll do that a lot. Like every Sunday, we're like, we didn't see so-and-so. And this is, we're tiny, you know what I mean? And I still miss people. So it's, it's cool because I might be a hand, someone else is an arm. You know, like we're all a body working together, uh, ministering to one another, loving on one another. So Paul commends them for being a vibrant church. In chapter 2, the integrity of Paul's ministry. Acts 16 tells us that Paul and Silas had been brutalized in Philippi. Can you imagine? I don't, I don't know, I don't know, how, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I could have. I would have been like, all right, we're done, Tony, let's go. Like, he'd beaten and incarcerated. I don't think so. So that's what they had went through before they came to Thessalon- Thessalon- Thessalonica. Did I say it right that time? Yeah, Thank yeah. You. <sighs> you. Guys will know how to pray for me for the next study. <laughs> Um, they were beaten and incarcerated. In chapter 2, he defends his calling. He says, we have been entrusted with the gospel, and we speak not as pleasing men, but God. I shake my boots getting up here. I'm a wreck all day long. I can hardly eat, because I feel a big responsibility, and getting up and, and teaching you women. But I, I never, um, when the girls were little, I would be like, no, I think you're called. I think you're called. I'm not called to do that. Like, I didn't have a, a, a desire to do that. I just wanted to be a mom and be my husband's wife. I, and I just kept like, okay, Kathy Foach just is a mom and a wife. She's not doing that. So I kept praying that someone, but now I feel like the Lord's saying, go for it. You know what I mean? Like, I want to see, like, now that my daughters, you know, two are married, I want to see them succeed. I want to see you make it. So I just, here I am, Lord. Uh, I'm far from perfect, never will be. But I just want to surrender all and, and do what the Lord has asked me to do and be obedient. So so anyway, I hope you still like it. Okay. So he defends his calling. He says, we've been entrusted with the gospel, and we speak not as pleasing men, but God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech. That is definitely not me. Sorry. Or the pretense for greed. Nor did we seek the glory of men. What I saw in chapter 2 was the integrity of Paul's ministry. He's telling them, I didn't come here for money or for flattery or any of that. He uses three disclaimers in this chapter to show his integrity It's wise for us to pay attention to these in 2022 because there's a lot of deceivers out there. He said he wasn't a smooth talker who was used to flattering speech. He didn't pretend he was poor. He didn't use his honored position as an apostle to seek personal glory. It wasn't about Paul. It was about Jesus. On the contrary, he was gentle as a nursing mother cares for her children. He worked night and day making tents so that he could give the gospel without charge. I guess that's how they did it. Then they give—I don't know. He not only gave them the gospel, but he gave them his life as well. And um, I have to say that um, about my husband. I just—he—he he teaches because God's called him to teach. But he is on the phone constantly, whether it's counseling or going to—he'll go to people's houses. Like he gives of himself, and I just love watching that because it's just a beautiful example of how Jesus comes to us. You know. I love that Paul says not only I gave them the gospel, I gave them my life as well. That makes it so real to me because we're all the same, learning and growing. We all have struggles. Not one of us is perfect. Then he says they have become very dear to him. False prophets are are usually smooth talkers, deceivers, seek their own glory, and don't want to share their life with you, right? They're um, up, and then they're gone, and they're not amongst the crowd talking and ministering and loving on people. So we need to be wise, be be discernment be discerning. So number one, it was a vibrant church. Number two, Paul was the man of integrity. Number three, it was enduring faith. They were only there three weeks and the church was ministering to one another. Chapter three, verse eight For now we live. If you stand fast in the Lord, Paul seems sees them like an army refusing to retreat, even though they are assaulted by the enemy. They're they're standing firm. Verse 3, chapter 3, verse 12 says, and may the Lord make you increase in love to one another. He says, I really live if you stand firm and don't buckle. Do you ever have a friend going through something or um, you know, you're watching someone and you're trying to encourage them. You can do it. You can make it. Make the right choice, you know, and then um, if they buckle, how does that affect you? It's like, ugh, you know, it's like you take the hit along with them. your your heart's broken. But if they make it through, if they stand firm and they stand on that rock, and they don't fall and they don't they don't um, they don't buckle, what does it do to you? It like it just gives you wings and you want to fly, right? It just is so encouraging. Paul prayed that they would love each other. A loving church is a powerful tool in the hand of God. I'm going to repeat that. A loving church is a powerful tool in the hand of God. It says in God's word that they'll know us by our love for one another. And I think that's so important, ladies. It's so important. There are 31 another's in the Bible. Love is the most frequent, frequent theme. The evidence of the Thessalonica, mm, the evidence of a Thessalonica persevered under trial gave Paul great joy as he struggled through his own trials. So it encouraged him, just like you're encouraged when someone's struggling, and they're and they're doing well and they're making it. You know, um, it's encouraging. It uplifts you. It makes you say, "I can do this." No, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. Like it, you know, it makes you want to keep going. Paul says, I really live when you stand firm in the Lord. And just remember, the most important thing you can ever do is what? Love one another. Of all the things they could have said, there's so many other things they could have said. And it's so simple. Love one another. Not how we think that love looks like. Because for many years, love was very distorted for me. Christ had to come in and wash that and clean that and show me what his love is like um, no strings attached um, you know he, he loves endlessly he is like a proud father seeing their enduring faith in chapter four we look at leaving, living to please God the Thessalonians has a reputation of being sexually promiscuous and chapter four, verse three, he says, "For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality." Have you ever had someone come to you and say, "I just want to know what God's will is"? There you go. You can take them right to this verse. You know, I'm, it's the biggest question. I remember my girls growing up. What's God's will, Mom? This is God's will—that you stay pure. Sanctification is a huge word, which we don't we don't really use in today's nowadays. What does it mean to be made holy, becoming like our Heavenly Father? So Paul says, okay, guys, you're loving one another, you're standing firm, you're enduring, you're a vibrant church. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Jesus said, The pure in heart, see God. I want to see God, don't you? So I won't allow evil to invade my days. I want to keep myself pure. And I think for women, um, I know for me, the older I get, it's not stupid things when I was younger. It's my mind because it's here, you know, and I think, oh, nobody knows what's going on in there, you know. But you know who does know? My Heavenly Father. My Heavenly Father knows what I'm thinking or if I was judgmental that day or critical or distant or wasn't, you know, God's whispering, hey, go give that girl a hug. No, I don't feel like it. I'm not in the mood to hug people today. Everybody's scared because of COVID. I'm not hugging. You know, you just give yourself a thousand excuses. But if we're obedient, God's going to bless you. You know, he's going to grow you. Um, I always pray that I'm kept on um, a short leash. Because I don't want evil to invade my days. I want to keep myself pure. So when I've done something, like something simple, like... um, and smart with my husband, and I walk away and I'm convicted, and then you know you're wrestling with it. Oh, he didn't realize I was smart with him, did he? I don't really think so, you know. Lord, help me to go right back and say I'm sorry. You know, be be kept on a short list. It's it's so much easier than days later wrestling with it and um allowing your heart to get hardened and And it's just much easier to go quicker. So I pray, God, keep me on a short leash. When I'm doing something wrong, when I'm out of line, when I'm being smart with my mouth, um, disrespecting my husband in public, tearing him down, uh, discouraging him, make me realize it. Make me go back and apologize to him. Um, Because we're their closest person, and we can tear them down like nobody else can as their wives. But if we be who we're supposed to be in the Lord, we can really make them be who they are supposed to be. Um, Because I don't want nothing to come in between me and the Lord. That's the other reason to be kept on a short leash, whatever it may be, um, in handling coworkers at work. I know sometimes I'm at work and I'm like, I am so sick of just the way they talk. It's so exhausting. Like, the F word is the back 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 years ago you wouldn't dare say that in a professional office you just you would be like that's so unprofessional but now it's like nobody cares it's just so it's so sad Ephesians 5:8 for you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit is all goodness righteousness and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and, you know, back to that mind thing when you're struggling. I've told many girls, when you're struggling with things, go to that Philippians 4:8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Because I don't know about you. I'm a dreamer, um, and I've always, when the girls were little, I was always creating stories like I used to have um, – Sally the spider, and it was literally, like, my fingers were the spiders, and she would have many children that would come, and they would crawl on them, and they would live in their hair, and I would do this whole creative play thing with them, and there was Sammy the crab, and Sammy would pinch and stuff like that. So, yeah, so, you're, <laughs> so your mind, like, I don't know about you, but I can be driving and you know, just have my quiet time, all my work, and by the time I get to the work, I'm like, wow, my mind just really went south, you know, like... It just really didn't, went in a healthy place. And I'm like, no, Jesus, this is not from you. This is from the pit of hell. And I'm going to think on whatever's true. I'm going to think on what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely. And if you have to, type those, you know, write those um, verses that really speak to your heart, that retrain your mind to not going down that path. Because then it just trips you up and keeps you going and messes you up, messes your whole day up. You don't have to be perfect. God sees you as his children, just like Paul saw the Thessalonians. A ton of grace in that verse in 5, eight. For you were once darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all in all goodness, righteous and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So there's a ton of grace in there. We're not perfect. We each have our own faith walk. So don't look at your best friend and say, why isn't my walk like hers? No, no, no. We each have our own faith walk. In this letter, Paul motivates them to a lifestyle of holiness. He explained that Christians should look different from the world, walking to please God and not in lustful passions like the Gentiles. He said God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Just to set you free, we're all making the imperfect progress. Amen? Right? No guilt here. No, no, no. We left guilt outside. Um just love. There's no guilt in love. God loves you, and He sees any step that you make in the right direction as a daughter that's trying to please Him. So if you made a left step that was in the wrong direction and now you're heading the right, you know, God sees it. That's my girl. She's doing it right today. Chapter five, the final one, he talks about the day of the Lord and a healthy Christian community. Paul ends this letter by telling them the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. They will be saying, peace and safety and sudden destruction will come. (laughs) He says to comfort and encourage one another until that day comes. 2 Peter 3.10 says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which heaven will pass away and with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works in it will be burned up. So we're not taking anything with us, girls. Nothing. Therefore, since just those little souls that we've saved, right, that we've shared the Lord with, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So Paul talks about the day of the Lord, and then he gives a very healthy and precise description of what a healthy Christian community should look like. So here it is. This is what a Christian community should look like in chapter 5. We are to esteem those who are in authority. It doesn't mean that you can't question those who are in authority. Be a Berean. You know, look it up. Make sure that that's what they're saying. We are to warn the unruly. Now, this, they're not talking about non Christians, they're talking about Christians. So, you know, if we have a Christian that's kind of acting out or crazy. Don't go at them like this because they're not going to receive it. But pray how the Lord might have you softly come alongside them and encourage them hey, you know, I know you, you've been doing this lately. Are you struggling with this? Or you need some prayer? Do you want to spend some time together in the Word? Like, um, just come alongside and gently warn them. Then it says we are to comfort the faint-hearted. When we walk in the Spirit and we're really listening um, to the Holy Spirit in our lives and listening to each other, we will know when someone needs to be comforted and when someone needs to be warned. We are to uphold the weak. These are his words, lady, not mine. We are to uphold the weak, and we are to be patient with all. I capitalized all. This sounds like child-rearing, doesn't it? They're weak. We need to be patient with them. We are never to render evil for evil, but a blessing instead. Proverbs 21.14 says, a gift given in secret subdues anger. I love that. A gift given in secret subdues anger. Paul says, pursue what is good, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, And you know, ladies, prayer is just talking with the Lord, you know, wherever you are, anywhere. It doesn't have to be just in your area where you have your devotion time. Throughout the day, talk to him, you know. He says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I capitalize this, and I capitalize even in the hard things, Um, diagnosis of cancer, loss of a loved one, um, a new diagnosis that they don't really have the diagnosis for, but you're in a lot of pain. Um, you guys can, we all have stories, so you can fill in that blank. But we're even, you know, to give thanks for that. Um, that's hard, but that's what it tells us to do. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. So when you're struggling, what's the will of God? Okay, I'm supposed to I'm supposed to thank you, Lord. Thank you for this situation or this difficult co-worker, help me to love her, help me, you know, instead of complaining about it to everyone else, help me to, what do you want me to do in this situation? Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but be willing to listen if someone has a word for you and an encouragement for you. Then he says, test all things, hold fast to that which is good and abstain from what is evil. So this is our list for Christian community. That's our little this is our little overview and I pray that the Holy Spirit has nudged you to want to come back in two weeks um, to hear some more as we dive into God's Word and look at First Thessalonians a little deeper. We'll be looking at chapter one and our homework will be done because whatever the Holy Spirit's showing me, it's going to be different for each one of you. so and we'll just it'll be a really special time. So let's just go before the Lord and pray.